hiatus, I've had the pleasure of talking to people from Los Angeles and and people that have shot Dune out in, they shot the movie Dune out in the desert of uh, the Emirates. And it's nice to bring it all the way back to my home city of London and talk to today's wonderful guest. He's been kind enough to give me a very last minute appointment, which I'm super happy about. And on the same day that the country didn't get locked down for a change, which was very nice. It was all good news. Before we start anything else, we're going to talk about uh, a few things. I've got I've got a couple of uh, fun little subjects to talk to you about. Before we get to any of that, we need to know why you started in photography. So what was it that made you want to pick up a camera and become a photographer? I got made redundant out of, I was working in a college for like six, seven years. I was like an advisor. Mm-hmm. And then I took the redundancy money and started off a website, which was just about London. So I used to write reviews, features, do like photo walks and stuff like that. So we needed pictures to go along with the reviews and the features and the photo walks. Right. So we started up on Instagram for it as well. So I sort of got into taking pictures that way, but I was never, I never considered myself a photographer. I was a writer and I just had to take pictures with the stuff. And then the website went down and I was like, okay, now what the fuck am I, can I swear on this? Oh, please go for it. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, what the fuck am I going to do now? I thought, well, I've got a mini following mm-hmm. on social media and I've got this, at the time, if it was a great camera, was, um, Canon 100D, yep. which is like, I think it cost like 200 quid or something like that. Um, so I thought, uh, I'll give it a shot. So I just started doing like street stuff and architecture stuff. And then I eventually upgraded and got into the Fuji system. And yeah, it just sort of went from there. So I started off doing it as like, a, okay, let me see if I can make some money doing this. And then when I transitioned into portraiture, that's when it actually started to work out properly for me. And that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. There was no sort of, oh, you know what, I really want to be a photographer moment nor nothing like that. It's right. very unromantic how I got into um, Well, no, it's, there's, everyone has their own route in. And I think like my route in is that I hated some photos that someone took so much that I decided to change career. So it's, that's, <laughs> I'd hardly say that's romantic. <laughs> But with, I mean, we'll get to Fuji in a little while, but with what you're saying there about, it kind of feels like it was a pro- always a professional endeavor. Like it started off to do with a business and it continued yeah. to the business. I found through doing this, a lot of people say that when art, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm English and I tend to sour away from trying to make anything sound too pompous, but when, when it comes to art, mate, I'm with you. Exactly. So when it comes to like making art into a, a business making venture, it tends to sour the enjoyment of the art. With you coming in already on that side of things, was was there any change in like maybe the pressure that you were under when you started photographing maybe say people? Uh when you say change in um, pressure, what what do you mean? Do you mean like the trying to Well most my work? most people go out and they take pictures and and that's how they start. They go by a camera and they just wander around taking pictures. Okay. And yeah. there's there's no pressure on them to take good pictures because they can hide them. You know, you just don't show anyone. And you, I mean, some people maybe should learn a little bit of that, but you can just hide the bad mm. ones and only show the good ones or not show anything if it doesn't go well. When you're doing it, yeah. especially when there are clients involved, there is pressure there to always find something. That's true. Uh, especially when you're working with like, models and model agencies and brands and stuff like that because they've put a lot of trust in you and a lot of models come from the middle of fucking nowhere to to the studio and there is pressure in that sense but I mean not to downplay what I do or what portrait photographers do but if you're there for two hours and you're working with a professional model in a studio as long as you know what you're doing like the basics, yeah. I feel like you're going to get stuff that people are, are at least happy with. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and then it's your skill and your eye to take it from they're happy with it to they fucking love these images. Yeah. So as long as you know what you're doing, I don't, and I feel like I do, um, I don't feel pressure in that sense. I mean, I'm the same way. I, I photograph weddings and I've had so many people, when I tell them that I photograph weddings, they go, oh God. And it's like, exactly I, I just, reaction. I don't actually feel it. I would never, I would never shoot a wedding. I'm never. far too busy just judging people and watching what people are doing. <laughs> and I kind of, the, the photography becomes second nature. Like you said, if you know what you're doing and you're, I think if you can forget the cameras there, 
then you're probably fine as a photographer. Yeah. It's usually a big worry when a photographer is very focused on the camera because that means they're still trying to make sure that the training wheels don't come off and they fall off the bike, I think, a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, so you photograph models. You're based in London. So mm-hmm. I'd like to touch on something I don't think I've ever touched on on the podcast before. And I want to help out our international listeners, the people from around the world that are going to hear this, and also make fun of the people that aren't from London. <laughs> if you could give me a ballpark percentage of how many models you've worked with that have London in some way instilled in their bio or something like that, but they're actually from absolutely nowhere near Norwich, to give people a really good <laughs> idea of how London-centric the industry is. See, it's a bit... It's a bit more difficult with me because the vast majority of models I work with are international. Right. So they're like Brazilian or Italian or Spanish or so they'll have London in their bio, but it's literally just to say at the moment I'm based in London. Right. right. But um, when it comes to the British models I work with, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not even going to give you a percentage. I'm just going to say, yeah, Yeah. because um, I mean, there are a couple who are like, we'll have like Essex. Because I, I think that has like a different ring to it and it's like there on purpose. Yeah. Because people from Essex, like I said, I'm from Barking, so people from Essex are a special breed and oh, they yeah. want people to know they're from fucking Essex. So I think apart from the Essex lot, it's London. The furthest out I've seen someone from London that has had Lon- to put down London as their like location was Leeds, which is <laughs> quite literally the entire country away from being in London, which I thought was wonderful. Um, okay, so let's talk about finding your style a little bit. I think you have a very clear style. I don't tend to really want to follow work that I don't feel like it has a clear style. Photographers that look like they're just an iPod shuffle, it doesn't do much for me because I kind of want to know what I'm getting from them. And I think when you're running a business, that's a big plus as well. Clients know what they're yeah. getting from you. What was the process of finding your style in portraits? Well, I've, I've always been, I mean, obviously this is an audio podcast, but you can see I'm very basic and simple in what I think <laughs> looks <laughs> acceptable or good. So, um, and it's just a matter of stripping away the stuff that I don't like about other work. Not I don't like, but just I don't find appealing from other work. So like the heavy makeup and the contrasting light and the glittery clothes and all that sort of like glam, mm-hmm. like that boohoo look, that's just right. very not what I like. I'm very much about the person. I'm a portrait photographer. I, I do do fashion, but if people ask me, I'm a portrait photographer. So like, the clothes and the backdrop and everything about it isn't important. My main concern is making sure the subject, which is the model, looks as amazing as possible. Right. So that's why a lot of the clothes I shoot in are black, white, denim, pastel. So stuff that just doesn't distract. Right. My backdrops are very basic. So it's either a cloth backdrop or just a wall or white paper backdrop. Um, the light is very soft and natural, so it's not too distracting. It's just sort of complements and wraps around the face and the body yep. perfectly. Um, yeah, I just prefer like a really nice soft look. Um, I've even got a friend who sort of jokes about the fact that I have a uniform for models and it's just like a white T-shirt, blue jeans, right. and like, like trainers are shoes. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's like my stuff is like Polaroids on steroids. <laughs> okay. That's what they yeah, are. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And uh, one thing I'm trying to remember to do is that I've been told quite a bit, especially during my little hiatus, that a lot of people have been listening to this when they're very new to photography, which I didn't really think would happen because I, well, I didn't think anyone would listen to this. So it's kind of nice to hear that. <laughs> so to, just to cover a couple of things there. Firstly, when you say Polaroids, for people that don't photograph people, oh, yeah, can you right. just explain what a Polaroid is? So a uh, Polaroid is... But like if you ever go onto like an agency website or whatever, they'll have like the model's portfolio. So they'll have all their best shots from like campaigns and editorials and all these amazing stuff they've done like where they're glammed up and they've got like all these incredible outfits. And then underneath, they'll have the Polaroids slash like digitals, depending on what you want to call them. And they're updated fairly frequently. They're completely unedited. It's just, and it's usually with soft natural light or just soft light. And they'll be wearing like very basic clothes, like I explained. So like a tank top or a t-shirt or a black, like very plain black bikini. And it will just be to show clients what the model looks like right now. Yeah. Because the 
the portfolio is the best stuff you've shot. So if you've got a six, seven year career, you might have images in there from six, seven years ago. Yeah. But the Polaroids are for the clients to see exactly what they look like now. It's for the raw materials so people can kind of see what, yeah. the, what the base coat looks like before they start applying paint, essentially. Exactly, exactly. And uh, you kind of, you also touched on something there, which I think is maybe not in the professional sense at all, but definitely for people that are looking to go in that direction gets confused quite a bit, which is there is a huge difference between photographing portraiture and photographing fashion. Mm, yeah. And and the priority in the photo is is the big difference. Now, one thing I do think, obviously fashion being focused on the product and then portraiture being on the person. But one thing I do think is that this one of the reasons this is getting confused, and it's actually getting confused beyond photography, is that we've I might be unpopular for saying this, but we've sort of lost the age of supermodels. So you had people that were very clearly going to be part of fashion campaigns. And we're now more in the situation where uh, celebrities of no real understanding of how they became famous are at the front and center of a lot of campaigns where they're not models. They're just people that have large Instagram followings or people that are in movies, TV shows and so on. So it's become more of a celebrity centric thing. So when you have a fashion campaign that has a celebrity as the main focal point, it's hard to not focus on the person and focus on the product, which I actually think has confused the situation quite a bit, but people are very focused on like the views metric. I'm just wondering how you feel about, are we losing the art of models to maybe something like influencing? A hundred percent. Right. I, yeah, I agree with you. When you even said there that we're sort of losing the supermodel, I don't know if you saw, I actually sort of slightly shook my head like, no, I don't think so. And then as you were speaking, I was like, actually, no way. Yeah. I mean, because I, I, in my mind, there's a couple who are sort of still hanging around, but I think I'll show you my age. I was thinking, no, you've got, was it Giselle Bunch? And you've got, but I'm forgetting that they've been around for fucking. Yeah. Since the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any that are sort of now who are sort of breaking in. And do you know what I mean? Like yeah. what, you're, what you just said. So yeah, I, I agree to to an extent. I do think there are still there's still room for like the supermodel, and there's still room for somebody who like that's their profession. Mm. And I do think that it's sort of been watered down. And but but I actually think modelling is a job that's disrespected by a lot of people, especially outside of the industry. They think it's just a pretty girl who shows up or yeah. good looking guy um, who shows up stands there you take pictures of them and they walk away but it's so much more than that and i think the reason why a lot of actors can sort of bring into it is because it 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 has a lot of similarities with modeling because you're playing a role depending on what mood or look we're going for you're playing a role so you're acting yeah but then you've got like the fucking the jenners and the kardashians and the again i've got people who will probably slaughter me for saying terrible things about them but I just I can't I can't I, I just can't I can't deal with that sort no. of no I'm with you and I think that the, yeah. the, the problem they have is they've had a massive influence over a massive portion of young people yeah. and I'm sure you've been there I've been there I mean to your point about mo- uh, the disrespect of models outside of the industry if you're a photographer and you photographed a model and it could be the most stunning person in the world but if they don't know how to model, my God, do you feel it the minute you start taking photos? It is oh, God, yes. palpably painful. It's not yeah. fun at all. And you see it in the images. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. You see it in the images. You can see it in the eyes. If there's no connection. If they don't know how to sort of push that personality, it doesn't matter how beautiful they are. And it goes the other way. Yep. There are sometimes that people will look at somebody and go, they're a model, really? And then they, they go in front of the camera and they just have this sort of presence it's like oh, okay they're a model charisma is massively underrated and, and yeah. I, I like what you said as well i think modeling is performance like like acting it's performance <laughs> it's not you're not blocking the view of a camera you're meant to be adding something to the process so yeah. when you get a, when you get a really good model it's um you feel like it's weird it's kind of a two-way thing you feel like a worse photographer and a better photographer when you get a really good model because your photos yeah, are coming out exactly great you so mean. you feel great but also it almost feels too easy and you get a bit imposter syndrome because it's like, well, I don't really need to be here. She's like, she's got this covered. 
which is pretty cool. On the on the subject of subjects, then in terms of like mindset, attitude, and experience, I think experience is an interesting one. I've had very different takes on this. What's your ideal when it comes to a model? Do you mean their experience and their sort of standing? Well, you have things like the balance of ego, because you have some people that are very, very happy with themselves before they've really learned to do anything. You have other people that have been doing I have a friend who's been modeling for 12 years. She's absolutely fantastic. She gives me that feeling that I just don't know what I'm doing and I know what I'm doing all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's very insecure. Um, so the insecurity... That's problem, though. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's yeah. like the experience thing. There are some people that really like photographing newer models, I think especially now, because they haven't had that e-com thing, that, that yeah, parasite yeah. takeover where they just have like a, the Macarena of poses that they run through. Yeah. And then other people don't want to work with a new model. Like I didn't for ages. I couldn't stand working with new models because I really didn't like going through the process of explaining everything because I tended, mm-hmm. I went for a stage of just not liking photography. So my shoots was like, we need to get this done as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. Just work, just getting work done. Yeah. And you're going yeah. through the process of explaining like, you know, from, from chapter one, it, that can be a bit tedious. So what's your idea in the model in terms of how long they've been doing it and ego and so on? See, I, I feel I've been fairly lucky when it comes to like ego. I've never worked with somebody who's come through the door and just sort of given me that feeling of, oh, fuck, they think they're hot shit. Right. But, um, I think it speaks more about me though, because I prefer to work with sort of older models to like 25 and up ish, just because I am like, I'm 34 years old. So I connect more on a personal level with somebody who's older. I've got more in common with a 26 year old than I have a 19 year old. Right. So, um, and especially like 19 year olds tend to be way more immature and, I'm not saying it's a negative thing because if I was a younger photographer, I would probably connect more with the younger models. Um, and, but there are loads of like 19, 20 year olds who I've worked with for amazing. It's me trying to cover my arm from anybody who's, <laughs> who's worked with me. It's like 19. I'm like, by the way, no, you were lovely. It was the other night. That, yeah. Um, no, it would be probably older models, usually more foreign models. I, but I guess that's more that I work with just because they're generally more, um, easygoing mm-hmm. and more relaxed, which is kind of the vibe I want to go for anyway in my shoots. Um, yeah. So more experienced, but I, I mean, a lot of the work you get is shooting new models who have just started up so that you can help build up their portfolio and get them work. And they're, I mean, 99 times out of a hundred, they're lovely and you, you get what you need and you get what they need. And, um, but I feel it's a completely different experience with newer models. When I'm working with more experienced and established models, the whole shoot is about getting the images. And it's about just sort of, okay, is this better than what you've already got in your book? Yeah, perfect. We've got it. We've got what we need. But with younger models, and I find when agencies send sort of new faces, like they also just breaking in to the industry, I feel like it's 50-50 in the sense that 50% is about the models getting the images, but the other half is about getting the model experience and then learning on the shoot. So I feel more like a, almost like a teacher when I'm shooting newer faces to sort of, and almost like a cheerleader as well at some point. Like I'm trying to, because you can see in a lot of them, they have that insecurity because they don't know what they're doing. So they say, oh, I don't know where to put my hand. And you're like, you're doing amazing. You don't, yeah. need to, you don't need to worry about that. We're going to be taking over a thousand pictures. We're going to get what we need. So there's a lot of that with the younger models as well. So it's two very different experiences. But I find because of my age, my experience, it's usually the older, more experienced models that I click with and work fair with. I do find in especially, especially, East, I mean, I'm not an East Londoner, but I've worked with, and obviously being a wedding photographer, I've been to East London a fair bit. I 100% agree with you about Essex. It's definitely... Um, <laughs> the one I actually struggle with is Kent, to be completely honest with you. I blackballed Kent for like two years because it just fried my brain too much from... There's always what someone... Way? Every Kent wedding, there's always someone that wants to have a fight. Like every Kent wedding. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. No matter how much money's in the wedding, there's always a cousin that wants to have a fight with someone. And it's like, I just kind of need a break from this for a while. I'm not built for this. <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't happen with Essex, to be fair. 
Essex is like people. I think I think es- they're very similar, but I just feel like Essex is a much more fun place. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone's everyone's up for a good laugh, and I think Essex is one of the places that really sums up that British sense of humor of laughing at yourself quite a bit. Like British humor is very self deprecating. I think that's that's East London and Essex is very much like that. With with what you were saying there about like cheerleading, sort of coaching people through, hmm. how confident are you in your abilities to do that? Where you would, I mean, I don't know if you do this, but if you, if I was to like push you down a high street and tell you to find someone to photograph that's never modeled before. Do you feel like you could like based on the raw materials that you see, pull someone into a studio and get something that would potentially be say portfolio worthy for you? For me. Um, Cause there's a big difference, right? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm again, 50, 50, right. um, not to play it safe. Uh, it's just because I think, a lot of the stuff that's in my portfolio are, look, I've actually made quite a lot of friends in modeling industry. Yep. So a lot of the people on my portfolio are kind of mates. Yeah. And there's that sort of connection, which I'm sure a lot of people can sort of feel it. But for me, it's different because it's my portfolio and I want it to appeal more to me. Like I've always considered my work the people, the only person's opinion I want to know about on my work is my own. Mm-hmm. And that's not in an arrogant way. It's because when I'm getting compliments from people, I've got that very British, like you said, sort of way of thinking, just batting it away. Like I can't take compliments. Yeah. Somebody says, oh, your work's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, whatever. But if somebody doesn't like my work, then I'll take that on board. Right. So. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the fuck I got to hear from the question. Well, you you're, I, no, I, I see what you're saying because when you have outside influence, when you when you listen, if you listen to everybody, the majority of people that speak are negative. That's the nature mm. of things like social media. That's what we're. I think we're trying to figure out at the moment why it is that football fans are sending monkey emojis to a footballer that scores against them, or why when someone releases a movie there becomes an instant argument in the comments about whether or not it's a good movie to the point where people will bring up Hitler or each other's mum or something like that. <laughs> We're trying to figure out what it is about social media that brings that out. And and obviously, especially in the never-ending story that is a pandemic, a lot of mm. interaction is going to be social media-based. Our interactions yeah. have been social media-based. The reason we're sat here right now is because of yeah. social media. So if you take on board everything, the, the outside outside of your bubble says the majority of it's either going to be completely paper thin positivity, amazing, wonderful, Mm -hmm. fantastic, or it's going to be, you should kill yourself. Those are the options (laughs) that you tend to get. So one thing I'd wish people would do is if you're going to ask for an opinion from someone about your work, ask someone who either has the experience or understands the direction that you're going in. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. If that makes sense. Because no, it does. Because if you're asking people, you've got to be very careful you're asking um, their opinion of, uh, because if it's somebody who loves your work, they're going to completely miss all of the negative. Because every image, even the best image of all time, will have something in it that could have been better or could have been sorted out or could have, shouldn't be in there. They're going to completely miss all of them little bits and pieces and little details. And go, oh my God, it's amazing. Oh, I love the color in this. Oh, I love the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So you need people. I've got a few um, photographers who, if I'm editing the image, if I'm working on something, I'm like, do I like this? Do I, there's something that I'm, that's bothering me. I'll shoot it to them. Like, do you notice this? Or is there anything wrong with this? Or do you see anything wrong with this image? And there's like two or three people and like a, a model as well that I'll, I'll send it to. But other than that, I, I try to ignore and I don't mean that in a negative way, as in like their opinion doesn't matter. It completely matters. But if you're not happy with what you're producing, it doesn't really matter if anybody, everybody else is. Yeah. Because especially in something like photography, because if you don't like what you're producing, if you, if you take an image you don't like and you, you're editing it, well, how do you know when it's done? Yeah. If you don't like it. So there's no way of finishing that piece of work. So the most important opinion of each piece of work is the person who created it. I, I feel. Yeah. 
Well, um, I feel people go down that route that you're talking about, though, where they're kind of reaching out for for any and all opinions to try and cast the widest yeah. net. And I think what it is, and I've, I've definitely said this before, but like when you start off doing something, or not remember when you start off, when you start off really finding you're getting through the gears on something and you find your style, you'll find your audience. Whatever you're producing, mm-hmm. it might take time, but you'll find your audience. If you trend chase or if you do stuff to people, please, you might find a bigger audience quicker. A, I don't think you'll be particularly happy in it. I mean, I've, I'm not speaking from experience because I've never really done that, but I don't think you'd be happy in that in that place. But also, like you said, you're then constantly tailgating whatever's going to be popular and you really have to exhaust yourself basically trying to figure out how to stay relevant and how to say the right things to be popular with the, with the people that opinion for some reason you, you value. I think there's more personal growth in just finding what you want to do and let people decide if they like it or not and that will weed out your audience you'll find your audience yeah and and you can go from there really quickly because you have a very like i i I didn't really note the exact way you phrased it that's why i record these so i can go back and listen that's the trick Mm -hmm. but you have a very relaxed style in terms of the photography it's not like you said it's not glammed up and and, yeah. and very high editorial. It's it's much more about the person. With that said, then does that like relaxed feel go into your directorial style? Are you are you relaxed in the way that you go through photos? So if we take, for example, you said two hours, so I'm going to take two hours. Hmm. If you're shooting a model for two hours, at what point in that two hours do you start shooting? And how much shooting's happening? Huh. How are you directing? Okay. Well, again, it will be different for each one. Depends on my relationship with the model. Like, um, if it's somebody I've known for years, then there's a good chance that like the first half hour will just be talking shit. Yeah. Um, and again, it is sort of a rough estimate when it comes to two hours. I always leave leeway in between shoots if I'm doing multiple shoots, um, just because sometimes you just talk too much especially I do because it's such a relaxed atmosphere I'll be shooting and the camera will go down into my lap and we'll just start talking like, oh yeah I know what we're meant to be working bring the camera back up um, but um, a lot of my shoots is talking but mm-hmm. that's because the whole like the most important part of a shoot is to make sure that the model is comfortable like that's easily the most important because that's the one thing that everything hinges on because you can hide if they're wearing some weird fucking clothes that nobody likes. Okay. We'll try and we'll do something. You can shoot in black and white to hide the gaudy color, or you can do more sort of headshot stuff. But if the model isn't comfortable, that whatever you're shooting, unless you're shooting the back of her head, you're <laughs> not going to, you're, you're going to notice it. So talking and making sure that they're comfortable is very important. And that sort of goes into my directing as well. So I try to direct as little as humanly possible. Um, a lot of it, a lot of things I tend to do is um, like in then moments where I drop the camera and I'm talking to the model, you'll see them relax because they know they're not on camera. They're just chatting to you. And sometimes because I like that sort of natural relaxed look, they'll sort of just fall into a position that I really like. So we'll be talking say they're sitting on a chair and they'll just put their arms up on the headrest in a certain way and sort of lean against that. Like, oh, I just hold that for a sec. And we'll go from there. So a lot of my, if I'm sort of struggling with a model, if um, I've tried a bit of directing and it's not working and they're I'm not uncomfortable, they're not experienced enough, that will be one of my go-to ways of getting a pose out of them. It would be like right. just bringing the camera down and just talking to them and then watching their, sh- their shoulders slowly drop down and then they'll sort of, their head will cock to one side and they'll even lean in a certain way, lean on a leg or lean back if they're sitting on the floor. And then you'll just see this sort of comfort yeah. sort of wrap around them. And you go, okay, wait, hold that just for one second. And most of the time, that's a really good way of starting. Every now and then you say, just hold that for a second. And they seize up. Yeah, and their yeah. shoulders go back up. And it's like, ah, okay, all right. We've got to try a different route. But that's kind of the, my favorite way of directing because it means I don't have to direct. Yeah. And they're in poses which they're comfortable with because these are stuff, these are poses that they were doing when they weren't even on camera. Yeah. So that's kind of my style of directing. Yeah. Every now and then you'll work with a model who you don't even have to open your mouth. Yeah. yeah. They just bang, 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 bang. And they'll just do exactly what they need. 
and it will be exactly what you need. It's like, cool, we're done. We've only been shooting for an hour, yeah. but we're done. And that's when the imposter yeah. syndrome sinks in, and you're like, oh, she made that oh, too completely. easy. Completely. And not just that, but if it's like if you're in a job and you've been paid for a two hour shoot and you're done in an hour, I feel almost like a thief. It's like, um, <laughs> do, do you want to, do you want to continue? Shit? We've got all we need, but you paid for two hours. Like your agency paid for two hours. Yeah. And a lot of the time they'll be like, nah, it's fine. Or they'll be like, yeah, sure. Like we'll just, we'll try something else. So like, I will wet my hair for this look and just see what we can get. Yeah. yeah. That's when the but, chaos, yeah. that's when the chaos theory can come in and you can start throwing stuff at the <laughs> yeah. wall and seeing what sticks. It's um, it's funny. I did a shoot yesterday with uh, as a couple of guys um I've known for a few years. Every so often, it's more of a social thing than it is about photography. But we we book a model. The three of us just shoot together. You know, you set something up, you shoot. Next person sets something to shoot, and it's really the only time I observe other photographers' way of working and especially directing. And I'm kind of fascinated watching micromanagers where they're like they're literally like reforming the pose down to the kneecap. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I find that really. I think because I direct people that don't really want to be in front of camera a lot of the time with weddings, it's like the camera being there is more for future sake than it is for right now's sake. Whereas models, obviously, mm-hmm. that's something that they need to be current now. Yeah, I've had to m- learn to manipulate people in kind of a bit of an evil way <laughs> to get what I want from them. I've sort of carried that over into photographing professional models and watching people with a professional model and... I mean, I've done workshops and I've watched people who aren't good at directing really overrule models that know what they're doing Yeah. to the point where you're almost like, ah, oh, this is why it's not working for you. Like you need to let them yeah. do some, you need, it's a 50, 50 partnership. And well, not just that, but this, I sort of find it very important to never say no or mm, yes. no, like anything like that to a pose. So if they strike a pose and I know for a fact, this is not a great pose and it's not going to do good images. I'll take some images in that pose and I'll slowly kind of direct them out of it. Yeah. Actually, hang on, wait, why don't we flip the hair to the other side? And oh, wait a minute. If you just sort of shift your weight to this leg and I'll just sort of usher them out. Yeah. And then they'll sort of find the groove again and then I'll step back and just continue shooting whatever they're going to give me. Yeah. But yeah, I never say no or I don't want them to know I don't like the pose. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I'm sure they're more, the more experienced ones know and they can see what I'm doing. But it just, I don't want them to second guess what they're doing. I want them to be as comfortable and natural and relaxed as possible. Yeah. Because the second you put that doubt in their mind, they're going to, like I said, their shoulders are going to go up. Their eyes are going to look glassy. They're not going to be, they're not going to give you what they want to give you. And you're not going to be able to make what they want out of them uh, poses. hundred percent. And it's like that way of shooting through a problem as opposed Mm. to bringing it up. I, I know that it's confusing for people that don't photograph models because another stereotype that comes of it is that they should just be confident in what they're doing. But anybody in what they're doing, especially if it's so much of themselves in it, when someone comes at you with a lot of negativity or an absolute shutdown of something that you're doing, I've literally been at weddings and I'm very, I, I've shot about 450 weddings. I have no issues with, yeah, don't pull that face. I have no. <laughs> I have no issues with like knowing the job and knowing where I should be. And it's chaos. It's war photography basically. But I, I, (laughs) you generally know how to put yourself in the right place at the right time for the most part. When someone shuts you down, like that confidence is just stripped away. I've had, I mean, I'm a 30, I got to remember how old I'm 33 year old man. I, I look like I've seen four murders. I don't look like <laughs> I'm I'm struggling for like I don't look like someone that goes home and bites their nails and thinks about how they're not good enough. But at the same time, it's like yeah, someone shuts you down, you shut down. Like you can't perform in the same way. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. Yeah. If somebody else is saying to you, "No, don't do that," what you're doing now, no, that thing that you thought was perfect, no, don't yeah. fucking do that. Doesn't matter how experienced you are. Yeah. And it's a power move, I think. I think it's a power yeah. move. I've seen, I've seen on, like I said, on workshops that I've taught where people are, they're almost trying to get one over on the model and they're almost trying to like piss up their leg and assert a bit of dominance. And it's like, it's just not going to help you out here. This is going no. to be, this is going to cause an issue for the rest of this shoot. Like, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get the same quality of photos. And you do have to, it's not hard, but you do have to be careful when you're, 
working for two hours with someone to just maintain that relationship. That's a big part of, of it. More it than- can be hard. Yeah. It can be hard. Sometimes, because like I said, I do talk a lot of my um, shoot and sometimes I'll be throwing out questions like trying to create small talk. And again, the, the model will be lovely, but they just, they give you like one word answers or mm. they just, they don't help sort of carry the conversation and create that sort of relaxed atmosphere or mood. So it can be hard. I think I've had um, some podcasts like that. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully this isn't one of them. (laughs) No, this is good. This is good. I remember actually one about, I don't know, a hundred episodes ago or whatever. I don't know. I don't keep track of this stuff, but there was one where like the build up when we did the talk before we started recording, it was like, just click, click, click working perfectly. And the minute I hit record, it was like, yes, no. And that was all I was getting. And I was like, get a name. No, no, not no. <laughs> but but like honestly, like I had to edit the podcast where follow up questions I'd said weren't included, so it sounded like a stream of conscious answer. Oh wow! Because okay. I didn't want it to seem like I was at times. I felt like I was waterboarding someone. Like it was, you know, it was abuse and torture more than it was a conversation. But that that's a story for another time. That's when I get drunk <laughs> at the podcast Christmas party that doesn't happen. <laughs> I brought up portfolios earlier and I think it's I'm very fascinated by what people put forward in their shop window and like why they've picked certain images I think the why is always the most interesting question the most common Mm -hmm. question with photography is how and it's not really a particularly helpful question I think you learn that as time goes on why someone does something why they decided to light something a certain way why they worked with a particular person why that styling why that location is much more interesting Mm -hmm. The images that make it to your portfolio, is what's the process of that? Do they have to stand the test of time with you? Do you have to sit with them for a while and really think about it? Do they have to do well on Instagram? What makes them a portfolio? I'm giving you an easy layout yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Now, the reason why is like, and I think this is the same with every single photographer in the world. If you're using social media, your favorite images will be the least yeah. performing image. They will always... Be, get the least likes and least like engagement and all that so never take that as a metric of what should be in your portfolio unless you're um, a pervert for me well the pervert um, photographers yeah. <laughs> i think they do all right yeah i've got my own sort of beef with them sort of people anyway so. <laughs> <laughs> um but i get a lot of i mean i don't know if uh how long we've been interacting whatever but i get a lot of messages from people who think i'm the models i should yeah so I get a lot of them fucking weirdos yep. in my um, in my inbox. Say, oh, hey, do you want to shoot? I've got a studio here. Like, oh. You know why? Because your name for people that aren't particularly well cultured is hard to distinguish. I have the exact same problem. I had a twi- yeah. I had a Twitter account when my photography name was actually under Chris Carl. Um, I had someone message me a time on Twitter. They sent me a time lapse of them ejaculating. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, obviously disgusted, but mildly impressed that they selected time lapse as a yeah, way to demonstrate say. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because one thing I wouldn't really want to do is show how quick I can be well. if I'm trying to convince people, but whatever. I, I, human beings, I mean, that's a different podcast entirely. They're just <laughs> gross animals. Um, but the images in your portfolio then, and, and how long can something last in your portfolio? Do you, do you have like a thing where it's like, that's been in there a bit long. I need to shoot something to replace it. How does that work? See, that's never really been an issue for me. And I don't think it would be. Like, there are images in there that I shot last year or so that they could, it could be in there for another five, six, seven years. The time isn't the issue for me. What my issue would be is if I, if I change systems. So, um, like I said before, I was shooting on the Canon. Then I switched to Fuji. And then I switched back to Canon. So when I switched back to Canon, I kind of wanted to reset my portfolio because the kind of images I get with a Canon aren't going to be the same as the Fuji. So I sort of shuffled everything out. And then I switched back to Fuji and I did the same thing at the beginning of 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. So everything in my portfolio now is from beginning of 2019 to the present day. So time-wise wouldn't be an issue for me, really. Um, Because... I think my style is fairly consistent yep. in the in the sense that it doesn't look apart from the fact that this year I've been shooting a lot more studio stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I don't think I don't understand why that would be in it because I know it is for some people, 
they want to keep refreshing their stuff. And I don't understand why they have that sort of outlook, but I guess each to their own, I guess. Well, I remember years ago having a conversation with a photographer and he said, he said this, I, I, you ever have someone say something and it catches you so off guard, you almost have to sit with it for a while and figure out where they were coming <laughs> from. He said to me that, I, I, he said, I, li- I like your portfolio, but when I look at it, I don't see signs of improvement. And I thought, what does that mean? And he explained that there's a consistent level of like technical ability through the portfolio, that there isn't essentially a depth marker of shit in there that will show how shit I was yeah, compared that, to how shit I now it's am. It's a portfolio. Yeah, and, and I was like, but you, why would you want to show someone something that you're no longer happy with? And he was like, well, it gives people kind of scope. I don't want to give them scope. No, and this is <laughs> like genuinely, I, I walked away from the conversation afterwards and then like, I never have that thing of wishing I'd said something. Like, you know, people have an argument and they go away and then they think of something. I've got the exact opposite problem. I'm too clinical with stuff that I say and then I end Mm. up alone (laughs) because I'm too good at saying what I want to say and that I shouldn't. But I walked away from that and like two days later, I was like, I need to phone this guy up and continue this conversation. Like, I don't don't understand that mindset. Why would you want to show people? Oh, look how shit I was so that you can understand. It's a, it's, yeah, that makes no sense to me. Not in a portfolio. No. I clear out my Instagram and make sure my old shit of work yeah. isn't on there. So my portfolio, which is like my favourite 10 images to portray my work, I would not want to be like, you know what, this is where I started. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not going to get this. You're going to get, you know, these last two or three images, this is what you're going to get. Yeah. That's not, yeah. That's a very strange way of looking at it. Was he a photographer? Yeah. I, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think the, the podcast, I, in the initial stages, my, sub, my conscious was like, oh, let's start a podcast to talk about photography. My subconscious was like, try and figure out people. Let's just try and figure out some people. <laughs> Good luck with that one. Yeah. Uh, so you've mentioned Fuji. I said at the beginning, we'll, we'll, we'll trail back to Fuji. I switched to Fuji. And then because I work in a partnership, my wife, who shoots weddings with me, didn't like Fuji. So that meant we weren't shooting Fuji anymore because that's how compromise what, what works. So I, I hate talking about gear, but yeah. Uh, no, that's exactly my point. I, I bring it up all the time. I get told off for bringing it up all the time. I really don't find gear a particularly interesting subject because most of the time it's two blokes, one of whom is like, oh, you're a twat because you use Nikon or whatever. And it's not yeah. a particularly interesting conversation. So I now use Sony. Oh. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. I'm the one Audi driver that hates Audi drivers, if that makes you feel any better, in yeah, the sense yeah. of Sony. I, every stereotype about Sony users is absolutely true, like 100% true. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about Fuji for a minute. I really, there's, there's stuff that everyone brings up when they talk about Fuji. They like the colors and so on. The restriction of, of crop is an interesting one. I think them bringing out the medium format has been a good way to kind of circumnavigate that. Although I did like Fuji's marketing used to be you don't need full frame and now it's like, but also yeah. there's medium format. It's kind of an interesting yeah. approach. They're a very confusing company. Y- yeah. I, I mean, also as someone that photographs film, it's uh, it's an interesting situation where they seem to be wanting to kill one of their own products, which is kind of a weird yeah. approach. But again, I don't understand people. Um, in terms of gear, like standard portrait setup, what's your camera, what's your lens and so on. So I share it on the X-T4, mm-hmm. Fujifilm X-T4. Um, I used to be a prime guy, so I used to have the 35 1.4, the 50 1.4, and the 23 2. No, sorry, the 50 um f2 and the 23 f2. Yep, um, and they were lovely. I'd never stopped down anyway. I mean, I mean, I never shot wide open anyway. I'm not a shadow depth and field person. Um, I like to have context, and then I thought, you know what. If I'm not shooting at f2 or f1.4 on the 35, why am I not going for the zoom? So I've switched to the 16 to 55, uh, 2.8. Yeah. And especially if you're shooting with flash, you fucking you can't shoot at 2.8 anyway, or f2 or 1.4. So I that pretty much lives exclusively on the camera now. If I'm going to do headshots, I've also bought in the 80 2.8, but it's literally just the headshot. Yeah. Um, that's the the eighty is the one that has the floating stabilizer. Yeah, when you turn the camera on, it sounds like a lightsaber starting. 
It just yeah. like a dig and you're like, oh Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Every time. <laughs> I thought it was broken when I first got that. I thought, oh, I've already broken the fucking thing. And then it's just, no, that's just what it does when you start the thing up. I mean, one thing that people do always get kind of dicky about on on the subject of cameras and on gear is like the need for full frame to be able to produce something professional. See, that's why I switched back to um, Canon. Because when I was shooting on the X-T2, I sort of convinced myself that, like you said, to go professional, I need full frame. Yep. And I thought, I'm not going to go back to DSLR because I just I love shooting mirrorless way too much. I'm definitely in that camp. Um, but I thought, I, there's no way I'm fucking shooting Sony. Cause, <laughs> sorry. Because <laughs> I just, when I, when I look at this stuff out of Sony, it's just way too clinical and sharp. And yep. it's just, it's not me. It's not my look. So I was just sort of waiting for a full frame mirrorless camera to come out and then they produced the EOS R at Canon. So I switched and I went um, full frame. I, I got that full frame look, which just wasn't me. Um, the colors I got out of the Canon EOS, I thought I was insane. I was talking to like, all my mates who were photographers, like, is it, what's wrong with, why can't I get exactly what I want out of this camera? But I'm a professional, I should be able to do this. Um, especially for shooting raw, which obviously we are, I should be able to get the colors I want. I just wasn't getting what I wanted out of it. Yeah. I, I almost quit. Now I didn't even consider changing cameras. I almost just fucking quit. I like, oh, fuck this. I'm going to do something else. And then my friend said to me, you know, you could just switch back to Fuji. I was like, all right, go on, I'll try it. And then I switched back and I was like, you know what? The only reasons you want for me, um, you want, um, full frame is shadow that fulfilled, which I don't care about low light performance, which would be nice, but I shoot in the studio with flash. It's not really a problem. Yep. And if you want to crop in, which again, if I'm using the zoom I'm shooting in the studio, I have more control over what's in the frame anyway. Yeah. So the benefits are very limited when it comes to shooting full frame for me. They're massively exaggerated. Yeah. I mean, but some of the images I get out of the, the Fuji, if I post-process and export it to JPEG and I send it to you and you look at it on your phone, you're not going to work. Oh, that was shot in yeah. uh, APS-C. You're not going to... Agencies don't care. Models don't care. They care what the image looks like. Does it look good? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, when, when most things are on a phone now and not on a billboard, why be, why be so finicky yeah. about it? It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. It's like buying a Formula One car to get yourself to the shops. I think in a lot of cases, like you, exactly, you, you're just giving up. Then, you're giving up so much money, and I think, I mean, I do. One thing I do want to say is the EOS, the the Canon thing. Now they should actually put it. Almost made me quit on the box as like a quote <laughs> from you. It, it genuinely, but like I said, I mean, I can't say I don't get it. Although I just did because I did it. Yeah, but I switched from Fuji to Canon. Yeah. For for the pure reason of full frame. Yeah. And so just if there is anybody listening who's got that sort of mindset of, oh, I can't be a professional. Yeah, you can. Because yeah. there are, like, it's just full stop. Like, there isn't any sort of discussion. There are professional photographers who shoot on, you know, professional photographers who shoot on Michael Four Thirds. Yeah. I mean, they're insane, but they do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> they all wear glasses and... Uh, roll neck polo what's, no, what's it called like a turtleneck and they look like yeah, oh, yeah. everyone that shoots micro four thirds in my head looks like Steve Jobs yeah. I don't know I don't know how to explain that yes yes two. yes exactly <laughs> yeah they're like unwieldingly tall and they take all their pictures down on people that's how I see it yeah alright so let's get to I said to you before we actually started recording I've got a, a way of kind of tripping you up a little bit okay but it's not really I'm a nice guy I'm, a, I'm the nicest German <laughs> Am I about to switch off my laptop? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you do Q and A's on your uh, Instagram, oh, no. okay. on. Uh, and someone asked you, I think a couple of days ago. Although this year time is, it could have been three years ago for all I can remember. Uh, yeah. Someone asked you about whether or not you shoot film, and oh, you okay, yeah. you gave a response which I have never heard before, and I'll give my interpretation of it afterwards so I don't spoil the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that f- essentially film is lazy because there's no post-production work 
that's one of the reasons at least. I got a little bit of stick from my mates who shoot. I got a couple of mates who um, shoot film. I got a little bit of stick from there <laughs> for that um, answer. What I've done here is I've built the framework. I'll let you explain your take on that and then I'll tell you where mm. I'm coming from with it. So go for it. Okay. So just to sort of defend myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't think it's lazy, but I think it definitely encourages laziness with mm-hmm. photographers who are sort of trying to find a style or find a look because that's where most of the work is if you're sort of trying to create a portfolio or trying to create a consistent sort of look or feel about your work. And a lot of them will go, uh, portrait 400. That's it. That's my look. And they'll just shoot that. Or they'll go to Ilford and shoot black and whites, like green, black and whites. And it just feels, for me, when I'm editing my work, the first two, three hours is color. Mm. That's all I'm spending on. I don't care about skin color. I don't, uh, skin, um, retouching or anything like that it's just about color so when you shoot film if i was to shoot film it would completely eradicate that and um, i do know like i said some film photographers who are amazing and i love their work and they do put in the time to do skin retouching and stuff like that and all the all the things that you should do as a professional photographer but then there are the ones who just shoot film as a crutch mm-hmm. to sort of to shy away from like trying to do skin tones because skin tones is fucking impossible, especially when shooting outdoors. So that's my sort of issue with people who go and shoot film. It looks amazing. Like some of my favorite photographers all shoot, like they shot on film, like Fan Ho. Mm-hmm. He's a black and white photographer. I used yep. to do a lot of street stuff in Asia. I love his stuff. But I think at the moment now, I don't understand learning and shooting on film as your main way of sort of putting your work out there because it just, it makes, unless you've got a very particular lens or something else technical to differentiate yourself from what everybody else is doing, it's very difficult to sort of put your stamp in your visual style because you're working with different models all the time. So you're going to be getting different sort of feels and poses from the models. Yeah. Unless again, like we were saying before, you're very rigid in your directions and you're very, like you force the model into your look instead of trying to collaborate and sort of create something new each shoot. Yeah. So that's my main issue with people who shoot film exclusively at the moment. Yeah. So I read that, I laughed because I thought it was actually a really funny take. And I always like, a lot of people do Q and A's and it's like they they obviously people are very good at curating the questions that they're getting. Mm. I, I think in some cases people are very good at manufacturing the questions that they're getting. I think mm. it's it's also blindingly obvious. Yeah. Um they kind of remind me of when politicians allow someone that they know to ask a question so they get to answer it the way that they want to answer it. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. You're a hundred percent right. It's I mean, I don't personally have an issue with it in the same way, but that's what it is. It is, there is a tremendous amount of laziness and film photography is an interesting one because I started it mid 2020 as a, well, fuck, I've got to do something with my life and I'm just sat indoors all day. So I'm going to learn how to develop film. I'm going to shoot some film and and just as a way of learning to do something. Mm. And from the outside looking in, I found some fantastic photographers as a result of, of sort of chasing that rabbit to an extent. Like you, you find people that I maybe wouldn't have found because of the way algorithms work or just the way that humans research things. Mm-hmm. That being said, it does actually make the digital side of photography look incredibly laid back compared to the twattiness of film photography <laughs> when it comes to, I mean, Portrait 400, I think, is a cult. I feel like they all go off and sacrifice a lamb every year or something because they're so yeah. obsessed with it. But there's a a thing of you can take the most mundane picture, but if it's on film, you are adding like 80% of of an audience on top just because it's mm-hmm. on film. And people will say they like it. 
just because it's on film. And I, I can, I could at least before I tore down my Instagram, I could prove this because I photograph digital and film and I posted some pictures last year that were fit, uh, digital that I put film hashtags with. And I, I've spent a fair bit of time f- sort of trying to find the meeting point between digital and film. Uh, recently mm-hmm. uh, did a shoot where I'm actually shooting digital, but with a blue filter in tungsten. So it's an incredibly shifted image, but shifted. Yeah. Then you take it in as a black and white. And when you work the colors oh, okay. from there, it gets you much closer to certain, you can get a, a real foma pan kind of look from it. Mm-hmm. And posting these images last year with the hashtags, I had people that were messaging me or that, that were commenting on it and saying like, love the feel of film. You can always tell the difference. Yeah. I love that. I love the fall off. You don't get that with digital. And I, I think it's like, and it's not to like belittle people like that, but it's like, do you like the photo? Yeah. The photo's the point. Yeah, this is yeah. this is the exact equivalent of going to a museum and going, look at that paper. <laughs> that, is lo- that is a lovely bit of canvas. It's a very weird system. See, I can see a flip side of that though, because sort of putting that nugget of information in their head that it's film, it can alter the way you perceive a piece of work. Like right. if um, I saw... A couple of months ago, there was something about eggs. Like people love eggs that have a more orange yolk. And there was a guy who did an experiment where he got one which had a yellow yolk and an orange yolk and dyed them both blue. Right. And then gave it to people to eat and they said they couldn't tell a different. So it might be the same sort of thing. It's just if you know or if you're told it's on film, it's sort of like an added layer of feeling. Like it's something different than the actual image itself. Yeah. It's, it's sort of telling you how to view the image in a certain way. Maybe that's where they're coming from when, like, if they think it's film. Like, yeah. Were these shot on a Sony, these images? Yeah. And they thought they were film. So that's the most unfilm like setup there is. I'm not so saying it was that. easy to get to the point. Like you, I put in <laughs> a lot of time into my editing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I mean, you can see the through line culturally when you start seeing people using unfold film borders. Yeah. To like <laughs> yeah, put yeah. digital pictures in. To me, it's. Yeah. Each to their own, and there are bigger problems in the world than really giving that much of a shit about what other people do with with their their work. Mm. But it definitely tells a story culturally with photography that there's almost like a shame of digital with some people. Yeah, and it's yeah. like if you just cared about the photo, you wouldn't give a shit. Yeah, you know, and I mean, and it, it actually goes further in the film community because the amount of infighting over frame sizes is hilarious oh really so if you shoot that obviously if you so we talked about digital if you go full frame mm-hmm. it's the full frame look but if you shoot film and you shoot 35 millimeter that's like that's the micro four thirds of of film of film so you're like a yeah. peasant and yeah, then yeah. if you shoot medium format what kind of medium format are you shooting six by six like that's acceptable but maybe you're a bit of a traditionalist six oh, six by four five is like okay but really you're basically just 35 millimeter in, in sheep's clothing. And if you can do six by nine or even like four by five large format, then you're really a film photographer. You know what? Shoot on glass plate. Now you're a real film photographer. <laughs> so I posted a quote by Peter Lindbergh where he oh, yeah. said that he liked to shoot 35 millimeter because it was conversational. You could take lots of images and work through mm to to an image that like you would get more from the person because it wasn't like yeah. 10 shots have to change a roll of film flow is yeah. broken i posted that quote and then all of a sudden i saw that quote coming up with people that followed me on instagram or people that i followed and it's like they it's almost like they needed an excuse to be accepted as a 35 millimeter shooter it's a bizarre yeah. world we live in i can't figure out photography for the life of me yeah, and photographers are just lunatics, like all of them. <laughs> Every single one, they're all fucking mental. They, I mean, they're great, but fucking hell. Yeah. I mean, so when you throw something like that, which if you can give somebody something to argue about and they're a lunatic, they're going to take that yeah. ball and run with it. Yeah. So. A lunatic with a keyboard is always good. good laugh. Yeah. All right, so I've asked this question to pretty much everyone that I've ever had on that photographs people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's becoming more of a mixed bag. For a long time, no one wanted to answer this. 
now people are starting to actually have an answer to this. I'm I'm feeling confident now in you. I believe in you. Don't let me down. No pressure. No pressure. But if you get this wrong, I'm going to delete the podcast. <laughs> if if you could pick one person, alive, dead, whatever, to photograph, who's the one person that you would be absolutely desperate to have in front of your camera in an image? And this is important. I'm going to change the step slightly here. Mm-hmm. That would end up in your portfolio, because I, I understand happen. we could all. Say, what, what happened there? Who? Ah, okay, that was easy. That, uh, that's as soon as you said, if there was one person to do it, that's oh, okay. Audrey Hepburn, like this, there's something about her that um, she's always been my. If if you say living or dead, she'll always be my answer. You prefer I, I, Banger. I, I was going to say, I presume you'd want living if you're going to photograph someone because that's a bit weird if you want them dead. <laughs> but okay, so no. t- tell me about Audrey Hepburn then. Where's where's that connection come from? It's, it goes back to what we were saying before. It's that presence and that charisma. Mm-hmm. Like every, I mean, I've watched films that I would never watch if she wasn't in it. Like, was it Funny Face or Funny Feet? Right. It's, it's like a dancing musical film. I'm not into dancing films, but I've watched it because she's in it. Right. Um, there's just something about her presence and her elegance that I would just love to be able to capture and have a part of my I would love to be able to sort of bandwagon and sort of take that and say, oh look, look what I can create. When it's really <laughs> look what um, I did. Yeah. So no, she would be my answer. Like to the day I die. I, I can't see somebody coming out and sort of topping that. So not not a Kardashian or a Jenner then? No, no. Definitely not. Not I as much. I'd rather throw my camera in the in the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I heard your second answer as well, and uh, I get the impression you agreed to do this very late last night. We we come up with this this time mm-hmm. today. It might have been as a result of Arsenal winning five one. I happen to be an <laughs> Arsenal fan. You're an Arsenal oh, fan, so, you, so. you put that misery in your life as well. Have you? Oh yeah, that's why I do look like I've witnessed three murders because I've watched Arsenal <laughs> play for the last few years. It's been amazing to talk to you. I really do appreciate you taking the time. The the most oh, important part of this is that people go and like stuff that I like, so that. I eventually want to be the algorithm so that all things <laughs> feed me. Um, so where can people go to see your work, Instagram, website, and so on? Uh, yeah, literally just that, my Instagram and website. So my Instagram is just my name, so at Korai Hussein, and my website is just koraihussain.com. Um, yeah, I don't really use Twitter. I don't use Facebook. Uh, if you want to see the work I like, then head to the website. Right. but because that's obviously way more curated and you've got a lot less images on there but if you want something more that's updated more consistently then you've got my Instagram as well definitely give them a follow I always do recommend going to websites because you actually get to see big pictures as opposed to Mm. swipe and like swipe and like swipe and like which is going to be a bit and depressing not just that, but you've you've got more control over the whole platform so like right. the background matches the sort of colours that I want it's not yep. just it's not that sterile Instagram look Yeah. so it's sort of set out in a way that I feel is best to sort of enjoy or interpret my images yeah I mean it's been amazing to talk to you man I really do appreciate you taking the time thank you so much thank you for asking me man <laughs>